morning, everyone. My name is Giannis Jackson, and I am your host of the Sunday Chronicle. This week, our special guest joining us is Pastor Kevin Brown, Senior Pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Giannis. Um, so we're glad you could be here. And I'd like to start by reiterating that the, the Sunday Chronicle is a platform for the community. We want to talk about things that are going on in the community, uplifting stories, and get information out there to help people access resources. So this is an extension of our publication in which we started it as um, wanting to show African-Americans in a positive light. And it's grown to many platforms and it's also grown to serve a more diverse audience. And um, we serve the audience uh, of the people of the greater Lansing area. So we want that to be reflected in our publication. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, black fathers and the absence of black fathers within the household. Is it, is it a common occurrence? Is it due to the, the structural things put in place um, without us uh, even really being able to know it? I mean, uh, Pastor Brown, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Jonathan, you talk about um, the absence of, of the male, particularly the black male, and uh, whether the household, um, the workplace, there are a lot of factors that that really involved are involved. Um, a lot of people can, um, you know, just say, "Well, hey, the dads left the women there. They're on drugs. They're they're you know doing bad work." But there's a lot of things uh, in our system. Uh, there's a system that really helped contributed to uh, the absence of black male. If you look at uh, mass incarceration. Uh, and you just track the history of that and the privatization of, of that industry, how that's affected breaking up um, black homes. Uh, that's just one of the areas. Oh, yes. I, I uh, do believe if you can break down the structure of the family, uh, that that is uh, the key to just breaking down a race in itself. Uh, but I, I do think it goes back even further in time uh, as uh, as we were enslaved and when the uh, black men were taken away from the family, uh, away from the mom, away from the children. And that started to be woven into the very fabric of America. I mean, do you believe uh, something like that happened? Well, when you talk about the history of African-Americans in this country, um, we, we, you know, with slavery, uh, if you start with emancipation where, you know, three, four million slaves were set free, it caused problems for um, a lot of business people in the South who were farmers who uh, had used slave uh, slaves to uh, basically take care of their land. Um, it created a problem in the economics of the South. Um, but, but what's happened, um, you know, when you look at the history of, uh, of the prison industry, uh, since the country began, 200,000, all the way up until 1970, you had about 350,000. Uh, that was the population uh, of prisons in America uh, under Nixon. Um, you had four presidents, Nixon, uh, 
in the 70s, Reagan in the 80s, uh, Bush in the 90s, and Bill Clinton in 2000. And uh, when you track uh, the growth of, of uh, the prison population, you can see that uh, it's a big business. It's huge business. And uh, I've got some uh, some reasons why it grew. When you look at a state like Michigan, I love Michigan. I'm, I'm born and raised here. We produce a lot of great things in Michigan. Uh, but when you look at states and industries, you think of Florida, you think of oranges, you think of Idaho, you think of potatoes. Every state has its industry that uh, they produce and that they uh, sell to the world, so to say, they generate re revenue. Uh, in Michigan, what would be our industry? What's our number one industry in the state? What's our biggest tax revenue? Uh, you'd probably be surprised to, to find out that it's our criminal justice system, that it's, it's corrections. Mm. Uh, that is the number one industry in the state of Michigan. But again, right about 1970, when Nixon was in, in office, uh, it, it, it was privatized. It was so privatized. So, 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 uh, Pastor, are you saying that the that industry is propping up the economy in Michigan and up and and in the United States in general, the criminal justice well, well, system? The, the problem was started on a national basis, and I don't want to pick mm -hmm. on Michigan, um, mm -hmm. but it is our number one industry: uh, corrections and incarceration. Mm -hmm. Because what happens? The budget is generated. Let me give you an idea. There was a bill signed um, called SB ten seventy. And it was a bill uh, in the state of Arizona that allowed law enforcement to stop anybody that looked like an immigrant. <laughs> mm. uh, if you look like an immigrant or you weren't from this country, they could stop you. What happened was they end up incarcerating thousands of Im immigrants um, in, in these prison camps in Arizona. But what happened, it turned into a, a revenue base of $11 million a month. Um, when you look at our numbers in this in this country, 1970 was about 350. Uh, you get to the 80s, it was around 750. You get to the 90s, um, it was at 1.1 million. And then you get to um, Bill Clinton, uh, when he signed the Federal um, Crime Act, uh, it went from 1.1 million to 2.2 million. It doubled. But 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 again, when you look at why. And, and let me give you a quick picture of, of really uh, laws. When you have laws that are changed uh, that can create disparities among people. Number one, um, three strikes you're out. Uh, uh, stand your ground. Uh, mandatory sentencing. These were all laws that were put in place. So what happened was a person could get arrested for something that was small but they had minimum mandatory sentencing. So when they went to court, they never went to trial. As a matter of fact, during this period, a 20 year period, 97% when you look at people of color did not go to trial. They looked at if they get convicted, they had this big sentence. So they took a plea bargain. Plea bargains ended up incarcerating people, taking mm -hmm. uh, men out of their household. So uh, it became a big business. Um, it's a lot deeper uh, than we probably can go in 30 minutes, but there's an organization, you know, called um, a CCA. It's, it's, it's the um, Corrections Corporation of America. It's a private organization that's a part of a bigger organization that benefits from some of these laws being changed.
so just to uh, just to kind of recapture what you're saying, on a national level, slavery was used to prop up the economy. And after slavery ended, it was not so much to free the slaves. But after the slavery was ended, then it was a shift from slavery propping up the economy to the criminal justice system propping up the economy. Is that absolutely kind of, okay? Absolutely. When you look at courts, court fees, when you look at the cost of housing an inmate, that's revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only did they go from the incarceration with CCA, they went to ABC, which is American Bell Corporation, and also had another private organization control parole and house arrest. So well, how, it, every person generates dollars. Well, how do we bring it down to a smaller scale? Because we, we're looking at it at a national scale, but as we look at it and, and make it granular for the greater Lansing area, I don't know if, if it would be, would be ex- examples or if it would be a way to scale it down so it's so it can be soaked in on a, on a local level. Well, you have to, first of all, look nationally what's against us. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a corporation called the American Legislative Exchange Council. um, And and, and basically, this is a group that allows corporations to to influence laws. Um, One example, um, the Trayvon Martin case, Uh, his killer could not be prosecuted because of a law that was passed by that was written by Alec and given to the Republican Party. But uh, they, they couldn't prosecute. Uh, his killer because there was a law called Stand Your Ground. Now, at this time, a lot of major corporations are part of Alec. Walmart was a big supporter and a member there. Walmart petitioned for this law called Stand Your Ground. Why would Walmart have anything to do with the law called Stand Your Ground? Well, number one, uh, Walmart is the number one seller in America of big, long guns. Mm -hmm. Number two, Walmart is the number one seller of bullets and ammunition in the world. When the law was changed, gun sales went up. When the law was changed, uh, you couldn't find ammunition. They were buying it all over the place. When the law was changed, it allowed uh, the killer of of, of Trayvon Martin to basically have a right to kill him, uh, to stand his ground, although Trayvon Martin didn't have a right to stand his ground. And he had no weapon. So, again, uh, yes, slavery supported the economies of the South. uh, And in a way now, there's still a form of slavery, you know, with incarceration. You look at some of the laws that um, were set, um, you know, three strikes, you're out. You know, that meant you can go to life if you had three felonies of any kind. You know, mandatory sentencing means that 85% of your time you have to do. Well, how Uh, do you fight back? on a local level. And I know a, a lot of uh, policies seem unreachable, but just us as a community, community, as we try to sew together the fabric here in the greater Lansing area, what are the, some of the things that we can do to change this, to get it going in a better direction? Well, Giannis, that's a good question. I, I think more um, than anything, the knowledge, knowing you can't win a fight that you don't know that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think education, um, we need to be advocates for what we believe, that there's an organization that are, that's writing laws and bills uh, that causes racial disparities uh, with people of color. 
um, then we need to, to, to talk and look at the laws because I've always learned uh, from the days of early political science, he that makes the rules win the game. Uh, and if the rules are fixed to where you've got a big net that all of a sudden you look at all the convictions in a year and a high percentage of them are people of color. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the conviction rate and they never go to trial. They never, ever go to trial. They sign a piece of paper and, and they fund that court funds uh, the prisons, which generates the revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that they're not bad people in the world who don't break the law. But, you know, even when you get to a point, how long does it take to pay your time? Is your is your time ever done? You know, um, so. When the initial question, the absence of, of black men in the work in the workforce, black men in the home, black men in the church, in the community, um, a lot of it over the last 40 years, when you look at it, uh, was was based in our criminal justice system. Yes, it, and it, it seems to be woven into the fabric of our society. And um, the one thing that can the thing that concerns me about it is um with a lot of people in office, I just don't see the effort of getting the buy-in or the feedback from the people. The, the, the people are going to be the people who are going to be most affected by the laws that are being implemented. You know, it just doesn't really seem to be that interest, you know, and just occupying of seats. Um, you know, and I don't want to go off on a judgment in a judgmental manner, but there we need to come together as people in the BIPOC community to raise our voices and really raise our concerns on a lot of these bills and start to un- start asking questions and and learn exactly what they mean and how they affect us. This well, is well, very if, important. If, if people look at reparations, uh, what's due? you know, um, you know, for the labor and for what was done. Uh, we, we first of all got to be aware. Um, Giannis, you can't fight a war or win a war that you're not aware of. We have to find out what it is. Uh, the next thing is, is, is what are we fighting? Um, whatever it is that word we, uh, being able to come together and have a voice, you know, back in the sixties, you know, uh, we came through hundred years of Jim Crow laws. We came through, uh, you know, discrimination and segregation you know, um, you know, physical abuse, uh, imprisonment, unfair imprisonment. Uh, we had racial disparities in health care and housing, you know, and in employment and education. We were treated as bad as any uh, as a race of people could be treated. However, on the shoulders of, uh, of our people, uh, we had a lot to do with the building of this country. Um, but when you look at now and, and you play the tape further, how far have, have we come? There was a day in the 70s where we would come together at a church sometimes, pray together, get an agenda together, and we would speak with one voice, uh, one voice that benefited all people, not just a group of people. Uh, So we have to get back there. I tell you, when you talk about the church, um, Mm -hmm. it's lost some of its effectiveness. I I tell you, you know, over time. Uh, where it used to be a place that people ran to, where it used to be a place that people couldn't wait to get to. Uh, COVID has even worsened that. You, you've seen a decline in, in membership, yeah, you know, a uh, decline in, in attendance and even a, a decline in number of churches. Uh, so we still have to find a common ground. It takes 
uh, one umbrella that we all can get under that can protect us all. And, and, and we all are wise to make sure that that umbrella is happy. We've got one chance and one voice and one conversation. We need to make sure that we choose our words uh, correctly as far as what we want to say uh, and what we need. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we've covered it, uh, you know, a, a lot with the absence of the, the black male in the household and what would you say are some of the effects on, on the family union? Do you think it causes competition when um, uh, in between the sexes? Um, I, you know, when you talk about some of the results of the absence of the male um, in the house, you see them in the kids. You know, when you think of the God-given role and responsibility of a man is to provide uh, for his family, to protect his family, uh, and to teach his family, not limited to, but primarily uh, in those three areas. Um, so when you take that person who's responsible for that out of the house, uh, there's a role shift in the female. It's not a, about a competition. Uh, a woman has to do what a woman has to do. And I'm sure there are a lot of single mothers out there that would say, amen, preacher, uh, that did not have a father or a husband that was there to help with the child, help get the child in the world, but didn't help take care of them. So they had to take on a, a first job or a second job. Uh, they, they had to have those conversations after school when, when the child had the first fight. They had to be the one at the basketball game, at the football game, uh, because there was no male there. And So, so all the, 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 the black female with dual roles and, and uh, do you do you feel like we're forced to act in a more aggressive manner? I mean, we're looked at as aggressive and combative because of that. Well, well that's a perception, and you've got to be careful with perceptions. Anybody that knows a black woman know that God has not created a stronger creature uh, on the earth. Every black woman that I know uh, has shown me that strength. Every black woman that I love and respect, I've watched take care of everybody around them, almost to a fault, um, without even taking care of themselves. But when you talk about what a black woman had to deal with, we know about the experience of a black man, but he wasn't by himself. He had a black woman as well. If you go back to slavery, to the days of slavery, um, uh, what a history and what a story, what a testimony the black woman has. So to be seen as hostile, is the black woman hostile? Well, she ought to be, you know, but, you know, is the black woman hurt and angry? Well, you know, she has a right to be. She has a right to have pain, but I think there's only two kinds of pain, Giannis. I think there's the kind of pain uh, that you use, and there's the kind of pain that uses you. Yeah. So everybody's going to have pain, but what do you do with it? What do you turn it? And for black women, there, there's a history of survival. We, we, we've had to survive instead of thriving. You know, where everybody else around, we see cultures who have not been in this country as long as us thrive around us while our basic get up in the morning was how do we survive? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's time to change that narrative. And it's certainly uh, not a comfortable feeling to be in survival mode, you know, most of your existence. It cannot be. So, I mean, we've we have some challenges ahead of us, but I, I believe that awareness is where we start, and we have to start doing uh, 
things, putting more things in motion and working together and getting, I feel as though uh, the people in power have to get information from the community. We know what we need, you know, so it, it I, I don't think it takes tons of resources. I think it takes somebody, it takes some people with the ability to listen to the needs of the people and to properly allocate resources. There are resources, but how we have to get them to the people. We have to get them to the people that need it, the right people. You know, um, it's great to offer. I was uh, working with a, uh, a company on uh, job openings and, and employees. How do they attract, um, you know, people of color to make a difference in the uh, dynamics of their workforce to make sure it represented the community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's the first step. I think what has to happen, and it's not so much affirmative action as giving um, a, a, a job to a person who is unqualified, it's just giving an opportunity. But I think when you look at our entities, like from police to workforces and companies, they should represent um, demographically, the community that they earn their profits in, that they work, that they get their paychecks in, that they draw, get paid, it should represent that community. Um, you know, and if it does not, then there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot, a lot of work to be done. So as far as, do you think mentorship, peer mentorship, those types of things would help in healing the structure of the black family what types of things in addition to that well um you, you create a lot of, of of pressure on a family that causes a lot of pain uh you know for a person to have to worry about whether they'll eat um you know some kids have their best meal at school um a lot of kids look forward to going to school so that they can eat. So when you close the schools, the problem gets bigger, um, you know, than just, uh, you know, what we see. It's, it's about affecting the intrusion of a, of, a, of a child. Mentoring, counseling. Um, I love the word mentoring, you know, um, whether it's a counselor or a psychologist. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they're a coach. They're a mentor. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's healthy and it's needed. There's some pain, there's some damage done. And just to ignore the wound, sometimes it doesn't go away. Sometimes you need to clean the wound. Sometimes you need to dress it. Sometimes you need to put a bandage over it and give it an opportunity to heal. So healing the black family, yes. Um, there are some young people who've been robbed of the opportunity to have relationships, you know, uh, with their parents, you know, male or female. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I like to think if each one of us who are able just do a little bit, do our little part, and that'll keep us moving in the right direction. So, uh, Pastor Brown, I'd like to thank you for being with us here today to talk about these issues, or I would like to say challenges that we have in the community. This is uh, the Sunday Chronicle, and we're bringing you the news that matters the most because 
community knows what community needs. We'd like to thank you for being here. And we do look forward to seeing you next week.